When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk It's a cliched episode I mean, what a, come on, man. I think we are creative, Nathan, at coming up with topics like, you know, 240 out of 250 podcasts a year. This ain't one of them. We're going <laughs> to. Nope. Somebody set this on a tee and we took a big swing. Big swing. So Bill Bender from the Sporting News uh, recently. They Actually, I double checked. It wasn't just Bill Bender, who's a good guy. And I'd trust if it was just Bill Bender. But they had a, a panel of six people, they said who uh, they all voted and made a list one through 130 of the best coaches in college football. And so we did a draft not all that long ago, Nathan, when we were really in our drafting mode of drafting college football coaches. And so this is a little duplicative of that, but that was a couple months ago. And I do think, Nathan, it's one thing. The main thing we want to do here is give our opinions. That's the best thing we do. We analyze Ohio State. We analyze their opponents. We analyze the Big Ten. We analyze Ohio State's place in the college football universe. But then I think the second thing, and we're aware of this, and I think we do this on cleveland.com slash OSU. I think we do it in text. I think the awareness of the perception of Ohio State and what other people think of Ohio State does matter. It influences the discussion, how other media members talk about it. It helps give some indication of like what the playoff committee members might be thinking about Ohio State, because no matter how much we think it should be true, you and I are not on the playoff committee. So we give our opinions and our opinions matter the most. Buckeye talk. But there is some minor bit of credence to what anybody else in the world might think. And so I think we did discuss this, Nathan, a little bit less about where who we think the best coaches are. And a little more about what we think of this outside perception, this national perception of who the best coaches are and where we think there's a disconnect there, which will make this at least a little bit of a different discussion. Yeah, I I mean, right away, just based on the way that they talk about Ryan Day and like two other coaches, I think there's a really interesting discussion about where. Ryan Day should be in the national consciousness right now. And the, the larger point is right now, it's a four-team playoff. And if you don't have a coach that is at a certain place on this ranking or higher, you probably don't have a real playoff team. The, the thing that happened with Coach O a couple of years ago, that was very much, it seems, lightning in a bottle. And almost every other instance that has come along in the entire seven years of this, I would, I'd have to go back and look. And to maybe really know this, because like even at the time, like Michigan State creeps into the playoff, but Mark D'Antonio would have shown up pretty high, I think, on a list of the best coaches in the country. Maybe not top 10, but certainly top like 15 or 20, I think, at that point. Right. So 
it's if you don't have a guy in that conversation, and even that is kind of on the an outlier too, though, right? Because that was a one time shot, and they've never been close again, or never been back again. And if you don't have a coach that is at a certain point on this list, you're probably not a playoff contender. And for some programs, they don't necessarily care because it, it, it's such a disconnect between whether that's a a re- realistic goal ever. But at Ohio State, it is the goal. I mean, getting beyond the just get making the playoff is the goal. And if if your coach, for some reason, Ryan Day wasn't showing up high on this list, then that would be worthy of discussion. It is interesting, and I do think part of it is, okay, so you can make the point if you don't have a coach on this list who's ranked highly, you probably aren't a playoff contender. I also think you could say if you're not a playoff contender, your coach isn't going to be ranked highly on this list. Yeah, right? it's like, before the egg, yeah. I do think at times – we put too much into that because I think the number one thing to way to judge a coach is how much better are they than what the program should be. Now that's also a hard thing to do, but on the same time, we all know that the expectations for Iowa state are far different than the expectations for Oklahoma and the expectations for Texas are far different than they are for TCU in a vacuum. Right. And the, and the expectations for Indiana are far different than they, what they are for Ohio state. So I, I, I do think sometimes it's like, well, you know, who made the playoff? And it's like, well, I mean, if you happen to get a job at one of these blue bloods, it's kind of like, well, I think, I think there's a, a, maybe a decent variety of head coaches who could be playoff worthy, right, at that school. Now, right. like on the other hand, Alabama sucked before Saban got there. So they're a traditional national power. But as we often talk about, Nathan, every national power is a bad hire away from stinking. So while on one hand, I think sometimes lists like this can lean too much into the obvious who's been in the playoff. I also think we must acknowledge what I just said. And those two things kind of are, are opposite ends of the spectrum. Somewhat. Yes. I think you make an important point and it's why when we were, um, if we're ranking the best football coaches in the big 10, Pat Fitzgerald shows up very high on that list even though they've never really been close to a playoff. And it's because is there any coach in the country right now or how many coaches in the country right now would have Northwestern doing what it's done, making the Big Ten championship game two of the last three years, uh, just some of the, uh, the things that they've been able to accomplish. Is some of that a uniquely Pat Fitzgerald accomplishment? And I think that's reflected on this list as well. So it is both things. Yeah, like Clemson seems to be a uniquely Dabo accomplishment, right? Yes. I don't know that there's now. I, I, I would argue Lincoln Riley raised the level of Oklahoma from Bob Stoops, like the minute he got there. But I don't know that Lincoln Riley, what he's done, which is not really sniff a national championship, because when they've been in the semifinals, other than the year that they had it and they blew it and they lost the overtime game to Georgia, like they, you know, they they're not really there. And it's like, well, they're Oklahoma. I don't know. Like Lincoln Riley's third on this list, Nathan. And like, I think Lincoln Riley is a guy who there have been four teams that are consistent playoff contenders. Oklahoma's one of them, but they're definitely the fourth of those four. And they are traditional natural national blue blood and Texas sucks. So I'm not so sure that Oklahoma shouldn't be better than they are. I don't think Lincoln Riley is overachieving at Oklahoma. And as much as he's an offensive genius and a quarterback whisperer and all that stuff, I'm not so sure that like Luke Fickle or James Franklin or Pat Fitzgerald or Tom Allen in their own ways couldn't do a version of what Oklahoma is doing 
because Oklahoma is supposed to be good and has a lot of built-in things. And yet they're definitely not in the top tier, right? They're, or if they are the top tier, they're at the bottom of the top tier. So Lincoln Riley is third on this list. And I think that might be, and I can't remember, listen, we drafted, I can't remember what we drafted, but uh, whatever. It's not that I changed my opinion. It's that I forget my opinion. I think Lincoln Riley at three might be too high. I think the three, four, five, six comparison discussion is a really interesting one. I don't know if you, if you do want to say who they had at all three, all four of those yeah, spots. Go ahead. Now because I think, go ahead. So they had Lincoln Riley at number three. Uh, obviously, I mean, Saban number one, Dabo number two. And I guess you could, you could argue, because I think when we did this, didn't I have the first pick and I took Dabo number one? Simply because I, he had kind of created it out of something there yeah. that wasn't there before. And, and Saban. I, I think that might be right. And then I think you, I can't remember if you had the second pick or not. I know you took Saban. Yes. And I think Steven took Ryan Day. That sounds right. I mean, it's really, we could look it up in three seconds and we did. Right. But, but yeah. What are you I mean, what, what, what are we, we going to do? Effort? Buckeye talk. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln Riley, third. Brian Kelly, fourth. And there was much uh, hand wringing and gnashing of teeth when I took Brian Kelly as high as I did which I kind of almost immediately regretted. So we can talk about that. Uh, five, Jimbo Fisher, and six, Ryan Day. And I think that, that comparison between Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, Jimbo Fisher, and Ryan Day right now today is an interesting one. I feel like Jimbo Fisher, because they were kind of good last year and because he's won a national championship before, kind of got catapulted back up into this top end of this conversation. I, could, I guess I could listen to that argument. Um, why Brian Kelly is ahead of Ryan day. I'm not quite sure. I mean, especially because they say in their Jimbo in their Lincoln Riley write up basically that, Oh, you could put Ryan day here at number three, but then he's all the way down at number six behind those other two guys. Yeah. So, so I, as soon as this list came out, you were like, aha, Brian Kelly. And, and I thought it's like, you were celebrating, like I'm justified, but then now you came out and you're like, why is Brian Kelly so high? So you really do think that Brian Kelly at four, because I, I just looked up a little thing. I think we can have, not that we want to have a Brian Kelly conversation. I do want to have at least a short conversation about the general depth of coaching in the Big Ten at the moment, because like Lee Barfneck brought it up on our recent uh, Nebraska Butterfly, uh, Buckeye Fly Effect podcast, that the level of coaching in the Big Ten when Nebraska made the move, he thought was much better than in the Big 12. And that's one of those things. That's Big Ten, Big Ten network money being put to use and the big 10 has the most coaches in the top 25 on this list. They have seven of the top 25, although the first big 10 coach doesn't show up until number six with Ryan day, but you think Brian Kelly at four is too high. Yeah. And I was the one who took Brian Kelly and I I'm trying to go back and look and see where I took him. So, oh, you know what? So I'm, I'm looking back. Actually, it looks like we, did I take him third? Did I take him ahead of Ryan day? I don't know. This is your chance to 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 change the past and be like, oh, no, no, that's not what I did. Maybe you did. It, it, we did have a strong reaction, I think, in the moment. And maybe that maybe that contributed to it because that's what it was. That may have been it. And and I would in retrospect, I, I think that it, if that is true, then that would be too high. I would I would take Ryan Day ahead of him. I would take Ryan Lincoln Riley ahead of him. Um, and I guess you probably have to take Jimbo still ahead of him. Right. So- so let me let me ask this because this is this is not a bad time for a little Notre Dame discussion. Brian Kelly's been at Notre Dame for twelve years, which is like what? 
I that seems, yeah, it's longer than I, I, would, I, I would not have guessed that. In his first eight years, Notre Dame was 59 and 31, which is a winning percentage of 655. In the last four years, Notre Dame is 43 and 8, which is a winning percentage of 843. So, like old Brian Kelly, like first eight years, Brian Kelly is like, no, of, of course not. But the last four seasons, Notre Dame has finished 11th, 5th, 12th, and 5th in the final AP poll. They are clearly not in the top tier, but as we keep talking about this stuff, they've made – there's the four teams that have gone to the playoffs at least four times in seven years, and then Notre Dame's gone twice, and then nobody else has gone once. So, like, Notre Dame has the fifth most playoff appearances. As much as, like, we keep eye, we – I think you put Georgia sort of in as that fifth team a lot when you're talking about the best teams. It, it might be – I mean, like, might be Notre Dame. I think I do overlook Notre Dame at times. Right. So – Notre Dame is good. They're clearly not in the top tier, but the question is, should they be? Like the question is, hey, they're good. They're they're very good. They're definitely in that second tier of teams, and they're near the top of that second tier of teams. But we're not having a program discussion. We're having a coach discussion. Isn't that where Notre Dame should be? Notre Dame, that's the only major independent, no offense, BYU. Notre Dame, that is the only team that controls its entire schedule, that has its private TV network that has a, a football tradition that rivals anyone. Yes, it's in a small town, but it's Notre Dame, man. It, it has an immediate draw for, for kids who are Catholic. Like, it just has some built-in things. So from a Brian Kelly perspective, yes, Notre Dame might be, is either, I guess, the fifth or sixth best football program in the country right now. But I'm not so sure that's not underachieving. Right. That that it, like they had this rough patch because Charlie Weiss stunk. Right. And because Tyrone Willingham wasn't great. So I think and then Brian Kelly came in and listen, it's not this is it's not Frank Leahy, Newt Rockney stuff. We know that. But I think maybe there is some debate about what exactly Notre Dame in the modern college football era is supposed to be. But I think maybe you could make an argument. I'm not so sure. Like, listen, we're working on this thing about Ohio State being the best program in the North. And I'm not so sure that that it should definitely be Ohio State. Like, why isn't it Notre Dame? Why isn't Notre Dame as good as Ohio State? And if Urban Meyer was the head coach at Notre Dame, would Notre Dame be better than they are under Brian Kelly? I think most people would say probably yes. Yes. Like, what if if Kirby Smart was the head coach at Notre Dame? Would they be better? If Luke Fickle, if Pat Fitzgerald was the head coach at Notre Dame, would they be better than they are under Brian Kelly? That's I think an interesting we, one. You have to come around on the idea of, like, what is Notre Dame? Just because, like, because, listen, I think they hired badly for a stretch. Lou Holtz had it rolling. And as much as we say every program is a bad hire away from falling off, Bob Davey, not great, finished in the top 25 twice in five years. Tyrone Willingham, not great. 10 and 3, 5 and 7, 6 and 6. Charlie Weiss, bad. 9 and 3, 10 and 3, 3 and 9, 7 and 6, 6 and 6. That's like a Rich Rod hire. That's like a tank your program hire. And so Brian Kelly came in when Notre Dame was kind of at its lowest ebb. He's a lot like Harbaugh. Now, he's been more successful than Harbaugh. But I also think probably who should be better, Michigan or Notre Dame? I think Notre Dame because they don't have Ohio state blocking them. 
And I just think they have, maybe I'm wrong. I, I like if we, I, this is an interesting discussion, I think, but I, yeah, I just think Notre Dame should be better. And so I'm not all that impressed with Brian Kelly. And I don't think you have to have Brian Kelly in the top 10 even. So, so here, I understand what you, where you're coming from. I guess here's how I'd look at it. You think that Notre Dame is right now fifth or sixth and should be higher. Well, Alabama shouldn't be lower. Ohio State shouldn't be lower. So that's two of the four spots ahead of them. And then you're talking about you've got uh, Clemson is the one that traditionally shouldn't be where it is. So that's maybe somebody that came in and stole a spot. And then Oklahoma, I would argue, is probably where it should be, too. Like, I, I guess you would say that, that if it's not Oklahoma, it should be Texas. But one of those Big 12 programs should be there. So it's I don't know that Notre Dame is necessarily being um, is tumbling beyond where they're supposed to be. I think all of those other powers should be there, too. I guess you could argue that they should be more consistently in that top four as opposed to just sneaking into it every once in a while. And it feels like every time Notre Dame gets on that stage, everybody's like, oh, yeah, they can't compete. Right. right. That, is that not the overriding feeling that that even if it's not that they should be their place should be higher? I think the gap should be smaller, even if they're in the same place, I think would be part of it, too. And I just because part of it and again, this is hard, Nathan, because it's, it's hard to separate judging the program from judging the coach. I mean, they're, they're obviously so linked, but let's look. So like in the, in the, in, in 2020, Notre Dame had like the 18th best recruiting class. Should Notre Dame ever not have a top 10 class? Like what is the excuse for Notre Dame to ever not have a top 10 class? Because on one hand, there are some traditional powers, Nebraska at the top of the list, Michigan to some degree, that aren't what they once were, and you can kind of explain it away, right? And so should we lump Notre Dame in with Michigan and Nebraska and be like they're kind of part of a bygone era, all the powers in the South and Southwest? It is what it is, and man, what Brian Kelly is doing is working miracles because I think maybe sometimes there's a tendency to do that. Or... Should Notre Dame be right on the same level with Ohio State that like, listen, man, it's tough. It's tough in the north. The talent's somewhere else, but you're a national program. You've got everything you want. Football's important. You're different. And and if you're trying to judge Notre Dame on the Ohio State level, they fall short. They fall short in recruiting. They fall short in competing at the highest level. And so then I'm not putting, first of all, like I'm not putting Brian Kelly ahead of Ryan Day. I'm not putting Brian now. Yes, Ryan Ryan Day took advantage of a lot of stuff, as we talked about on our on our draft coaching podcast that Urban Meyer left him. But what's one thing that Brian Kelly has done better than Ryan Day in terms of recruiting, in terms of developing quarterbacks, in terms of being innovative on offense, in terms of being a leader, in terms of being an out front guy? I, I don't know. Other than twelve years versus two, I, there's not one thing that I'd point and say Brian Kelly's better at this than Ryan Day is. Yeah, and I think you'd make that same argument with Lincoln Riley, too. I mean, Lincoln Riley's been doing it longer, but which, you know, in these past two years, Ryan Day has certainly done it better than Lincoln Riley has. Um, and and we'll get into this, I'm sure, more, but but 2021 is a big year as far as Ryan Day kind of really stepping out on his own whatever, like his own legacy. Like, it really kind of gets to go into another level in 2021. Regarding Notre Dame, I, I'm curious what you think about this, because we've talked about before – the idea of the mystique, right? And that obviously right now, Alabama and Clemson are just dripping with mystique. 
And Ohio State, I believe, has that too. I don't know if there's any other programs in the country that are really, really dripping with mystique right now, but that used to be the thing at Notre Dame. And when we were younger, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners were younger, it isn't that far into the past that when you talked about Notre Dame, there was a, a certain reverence about them. Like even if you hated Notre Dame, you had a respect for what it was as a football institution that had been passed down through generations and was just decade after decade. This was just a power. This was a team that you just assumed was going to be one of the best in the country every year. And they just produced great players. They would have these you know long stretches of, of dominance or something close to it. So just a, a great program. And I feel like somewhere along the way, that has has left them and I don't know if they can quite ever get it back the same way because I feel like some of that was tied into what the country was at the time what the culture was at the time and some of that stuff I don't know that Notre Dame could ever get back because I feel like we have a different perspective on things like religion and things like I don't, I don't even know what but like it's you don't you understand what I'm kind of getting at there that I wonder if some of the things that Notre Dame had as like inherent strengths for decades are things that can't quite ever get back to the same degree I mean a lot of like they were on TV at a time when like not everybody was on right. TV as much as them right so that right. was a thing um and and again just the whole shift college football has shifted south and they're not in the, in the south they're in a cornfield in Indiana but but that's that's the thing. I, I don't know, because let me ask you this, and I'm just tabulating some Notre Dame. Eh, I'm glad this is a Notre Dame recruiting podcast at the moment because a Notre Dame football podcast, because I know and I will say this. Uh, it always cracks me up. I don't know who it is. There's somebody who puts out a chart of like college football rankings that has all these little colorful things. And they did something that they did, like they ranked the top 50 running backs coaches in college football and Tony Alford wasn't on the list. And like somebody with the Ohio state football program, like retweeted it with like a SMH kind of thing. And it's like, this is no, this is nobody like uh, the, the number of people from like associated with college football programs or smart people who will like respond and criticize a thing that is done by a, by a nobody. It is, it, there's nobody in the world who could rank the 50 best running backs coaches in college football, but especially these nobody ding-dongs who like, and, and I can't believe how quick people are to like at least get social media mad. It's not the same as real mad, but man, some of you people get riled up about, I mean, about, about idiocy. So, so some Notre Dame, something tweeter, twiddle, twit, twiddle thing, Somebody at Notre Dame tweeted like, oh, Ohio State, something that like Ohio State's like doesn't recruit nationally or is not a national brand like Notre Dame is. And I just saw enough people in and around Ohio State world like responding to that. And it's like, it's a name. Of course it's a name, but like, just don't waste your time on it. So, but it makes it a little more timely that we're talking about Notre Dame at all, Nathan, that like, I do think there are some, uh, some people listening to this right now who are maybe madder at Notre Dame because some ding dong tweeted a thing that didn't make any sense, but we we just talked about this a little bit uh, with the who's the recruit from Cleveland who picked Notre Dame over Ohio State, Brennan Vernon. Okay, if Brian Kelly retires in 
three years. And the next head coach at Notre Dame is Marcus Freeman. Promoted from defensive coordinator. They just kind of tell him if other offers come along, they just kind of tell him just Marcus, like, just wait, just wait. I don't know. Maybe, you know, there was that time when people were officially doing a head coach in waiting, which I kind of thought was odd. And a lot of those never worked out, but whether they do it unofficially or officially, they just realized like, we kind of got this guy. He's smart. He's young. He's dynamic. Like we got him and we don't want to let him go. And my gosh, if you're Marcus Freeman, and you think you have a chance to be like the head coach at Notre Dame, like before you're 40, like you're not going to go anywhere for that. Right. I mean, you'll, you'll stick around to do that. If Marcus. Would, yeah, absolutely. If Marcus Freeman was the head coach at Notre Dame, would we still feel like Notre Dame can't be what they once were, or would they feel revitalized by having sort of a new breed, a young you know, a Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, PJ Fleck, you know, young, dynamic kind of coach. I think that's a fair question. I, but, but Brian Kelly, was he sort? Didn't he sort of represent that a little bit? Like he's not as young, obviously. But twelve years ago, he was younger, as was I twelve years ago. Well, I mean, twelve years <laughs> ago, he had paid the he had paid his dues at what, what yeah, it was. He was forty seven. He was forty seven. You know, he'd been at Cincinnati for a little bit. This is one of those, you know, like Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley and guys like that who kind of get big time jobs. At the moment, it's the trend, right? Dabo got it that way. You didn't have to go be a head coach somewhere else first, that you just sort of were their guy and all of a sudden you elevated. And it was a little bit of a risk. Fitzgerald's the same way, elevated from uh, assistant coach when he was very young under difficult circumstances and just like away you go. I just like, if Marcus Freeman was the head coach at Notre Dame, I don't know that we would be thinking like, well, he's a young dynamic head coach, but he's kind of held back because Notre Dame's kind of this like fading power or whatever. I think they'd be back immediately. So like, yeah. if you think at all, that it's possible that Marcus Freeman would be a better head coach for Notre Dame than Brian Kelly, then don't put Brian Kelly fourth on this list. I see what you're saying. I think you're making good points. And I was kind of just putting that out there as a, a discussion topic. I will say it, for in, along the argument of guys who had more success somewhere than is expected, Brian Kelly, I know it was 12 years ago, but you know, getting Cincinnati to an orange bowl and a sugar bowl back to back and going undefeated one year, I think that still is something on his resume. It's farther back, but it still probably is something in the back of the people's minds when they do these rankings that he's, there maybe aren't that many coaches who could go do that. And he's one of them. No, I agree with that. I also finished my list last 10 years. Uh, wait, not, I didn't include 21, 21. I think, let me double check that class of 21. I think Notre Dame was actually pretty high. And I think like right now class of 22, they're actually uh, at the moment, I think second to Ohio state, just cause like Ohio state, they also have a lot of numbers. So, all right, let's, let's do this. This is dating back to 2010. One, two, three. Seven, eight, nine, ten. So the last 12 years, which actually that's how long Brian Kelly's been there. Here's where Ohio, here's where Notre Dame ranked in the 247 sports overall team rankings for recruiting classes dating back to 2010. Last 12 years, Brian Kelly's been there 12 years. 15th, 9th, 17th, 5th, 11th, 13th, 15th, 10th, 10th, 15th, 18th, 9th. I think it should be better. I agree. So, so, and I think if Urban Meyer was there, it would be better. And I think if Ryan Day 
the way Ryan Day with this crew at Ohio State, Mark Pantone and everybody else, the way Ohio State's recruited under Ryan Day, I think if Ryan Day were there, it would be better. I think if Marcus Freeman is the next coach at Notre Dame in three years, I think it might be better. So, and I, and I don't, and then it goes back to the argument of like, is Notre Dame is basically like their average is like 12th. Should they be better than the 12th best recruiting class every year? My instinct is yes. And Notre Michigan even recruits better than that. So then if you find out that like, well, the world has changed and no, they're behind, you know, they're behind Ohio state, but they're behind Georgia and Alabama and LSU and USC and Oklahoma and Texas and everybody where it's warm. And that's the deal. Okay. But I'm not willing to give in to that hundred percent yet, because I think it's possible that they had just had a weird era from what now is like a generation ago with the Lou Holt success in the eighties there. But then they go Brian Davey, Tyrone Willingham, Charlie Weiss. And that just, none of that's getting it done. None of that is getting it done. That's miss, miss, miss. And then they get Brian Kelly. And Brian Kelly is certainly not a miss. Certainly not a miss. But I also think he maybe isn't the best they could do. And so I'm not willing, I'm not willing to assume that Notre Dame is, is a relic. And I'm at the moment, give me Marcus Freeman as Notre Dame's head coach, and then we'll get a read on that. And if Marcus Freeman, after three years, is like, man, like there's just a ceiling on how many top 100 kids you can get to come to kind of the middle of nowhere, Indiana. That's just a reality, man. It's hard to go down to Florida and Texas and Southern California and go to the East coast and go to Ohio. It's just hard. And if I were at Georgia or LSU or Ohio state or USC or Texas, I'd have an easier time doing it. And Notre Dame is just not what it once was, but I I need Marcus Freeman before I'm willing to, Agree to that. Yeah, I think that I see what you're saying. I will say that while I agree that Kelly is too high on this list and was probably drafted too high by me, I will also say what was the best defensive coordinator hire in the country this year? Like it came down, Marcus Freeman was going to go to LSU, which just won a national title two years ago, or Notre Dame, and he went to Notre Dame. So I give Brian Kelly some credit for making that happen too. I mean, this would be an intro. This would be about be a podcast, except we'd just be guessing. We wouldn't really know. We'd almost have to have a former coach on like really make a list of the 10 most important things a great college head coach does. Right. But like hire a good staff is, you know, again, they're replaceable, but you can't throw clunkers in there. Right. And every now and then you get a game changer. And I think Marcus Freeman might be a game changer for Notre Dame. I mean, I think it's possible that like Marcus Freeman is Notre Dame's Larry Johnson, that like, he's just the guy that it's like, Hey, like we're kind of in on this kid. We're not exactly sure. And then like the guy comes to campus and Marcus Freeman works with him and Marcus Freeman like hangs out with him. And the guy is like, Oh, I'm going there. You know, like as we've heard a thousand stories, JTT, the latest, like with Larry Johnson. Yeah. I think there's one big difference in that. I don't think Marcus Freeman's going to have to wait 20 years to be an interim head coach for one day. I think he's going to be a head coach sooner than later. No. And thank goodness for that. All right. We'll take a break on uh, fighting Irish talk. And we will be right back to discuss again where Brian Kelly truly ranks in the list of the best head coaches in college football. All right, Doug Lamarice and Nathan Baird, tech subscribers, time to be jumping in. Time to be jumping in. End of July, not even the end, like the second to last week in July, we'll be in Indianapolis, not Chicago, for the Big Ten meetings. And that's that's when it's time to roll. So 
think about it. Think about it. Think about it. If you're not a tech subscriber right now, start trying to see, if, put a little money away, four bucks a month, put it off to the side, get a couple months ahead, and then you can text to 614-350-3315 and get ready to join our tech subscription. Either rejoin it if you uh, took a little break, or if you've never tried it, again, it's like, I always like Nathan, it's always like, oh, this would be a really interesting year to be a tech subscriber. It's like, show me the year, whatever year this is for me. I mean, every year is interesting for Ohio State. So I think it's worth it. Seven Big Ten coaches in this top 25. Ryan Day at six, James Franklin 11, Pat Fitzgerald 12, Jim Harbaugh 15, Paul Chris 17, Kirk Ferentz 20, Tom Allen 21. In general, no P.J. Fleck in there, no Greg Schiano in there, no Mike Loxley in there. Um, you know, I think Mel Tucker was a good hire at Michigan State. It's just going to be a long rebuild. I understand why he's not in there, but like, I, I think he's a good coach. Um, Brett Bielema, like once upon a time, was certainly on lists like that. He just tanked at Arkansas. But I think it's possible, right, that like he has a chance to get Illinois turned back around. I mean, I do think there are kind of pretty good coaches in the Big Ten. So there is a definite cluster here, and I think I would almost flip the list um, from the way that they have it. So where would, like, just where would you, like, roughly, Brett Bielema, Jeff Brom, Scott Frost, Mel Tucker, Mike Loxley, who am I forgetting? Shiano. Uh, Greg Shiano. Like, where, so, like, those six guys, what order would you put those guys in? The guys who didn't make the list? Those and are it, guys who, I mean, those are all guys Not in the who, top 25, right. Oh, not even close. Right. So, so only one of those guys is in the top 50. So do you want to read where, so Scott Frost, see, this is hard. And this is where it gets into this stuff, Nathan. It's like, well, I mean, Greg Schiano has certainly been a great college coach in the past. Holy moly. Yep. I mean, what he did at Rutgers is one of the great jobs that any college coach has done in the last three decades, the first time around, you know, Scott Frost, Frost, you know, he has a fake national championship. So that impressed some people at UCF. But by the way, he left and like UCF didn't go anywhere. So I actually think that like in that second tier in the group of five, once you get out of the power five, it's like, oh, the team in Central Florida is good. I think that might have a lot less to do with the head coach and a lot more to do with like there are enough good players in Florida for UCF to be good in that conference when they're playing Tulsa and Navy and Temple and Cincinnati. So like, I actually think we might've gotten fooled by Scott Frost, me, me among them. I mean, everybody did. So um, Scott Frost, I see is 49 on this list, which again is based entirely on UCF. Given what has happened at Nebraska at 49 is insane, is absolutely insane for him to be that high. I mean, you're putting him higher. You put he's highest of all those six guys I mentioned. Now, I guess I could see. I, okay, I'll listen to an argument with 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 Mel Tucker and Mike Loxley, who really haven't. Although Tucker has, I guess he was okay at Colorado, but he really only kind of started there. Like Loxley hasn't done really anything as a head coach yet. Um, so I'm not. Sh- but I, so I guess I listen to those arguments. But like the idea that he's ahead of Greg Schiano, the idea that he's ahead of Brett Bielema. 
Um, I mean, Brett Bielema didn't, did Brett Bielema really do anything in Arkansas that was worse than what Scott Frost has done at Nebraska? I mean, it's very equivalent, but, I mean, what, but what Brett Bielema did at Wisconsin was better right. than what Scott Frost did at UCF. Un- unquestionably. And I would argue that what Greg Shiano did at Rutgers, because it was more sustained, was, was more impressive than what Scott Frost did at Nebraska or has done. And, and Jeff Brom, I, I, there's an argument to be made, whatever, but, but Purdue has beaten Nebraska head-to-head as much or more lately and, and gone to bowl games more recently than Nebraska has and stuff like that. So there's an argument to be made there. Um, so I don't know. I, I, the Scott Frost thing, I mean, he dropped 14 spots on this list from where he was a year earlier. But to have him in the top 50 and have all those other coaches still on the outside is, to me, just a combination of, again, the UCF thing, maybe a little bit of the youth thing where you get the benefit of the doubt because you're younger and you have more ceiling to still reach for or something. I, I don't even know, but um, uh, he, he wouldn't be that high on my list. No, be, be, being tricked. Absolutely being tricked. Um, PJ Fleck at 27, so he's just outside the top 25. So they have eight of the eight of the top 27, which is pretty good. And then they drop to Frost, Frost 49, Brom 58, Shiano 61, Loxley 62, Tucker 63, Bielema 64. Again, for, they somehow, I guess that's the bottom of the power five that they're ranked at all 130. There's 65 power conference teams. And there are some non-power five coaches who are higher on the list, like Luke Fickle, right? We know that. But that's 61, 62, 63, 64. Those are, those are four Big Ten coaches who are near the bottom in their in their opinion of the power five coaches. And I think I might actually, you know what? I don't actually like this list. <laughs> There's a lot no, about this I list think, I don't like actually. Yeah. And I mean, I think you would put those programs there right now. I would put Illinois there as a program, maybe lower, but Brett Bielema as a coach, I, I would not necessarily, I would not put him that low. There's just too much there in terms of his legacy. Um, I think he gets the benefit of the doubt more than Scott Frost does over one one pseudo special year at UCF. Yeah, no, this is really bad. I mean, Greg Schiano behind Scott Frost and Jeff Brom is ridiculous. Is really ridiculous. And, it's, and and it's one of those things. I mean, yeah, well, we should have had him on. I mean, we could. I mean, again, we'd say the same thing to his face. Like Mike Loxley, and the thing about like Mike Loxley and Mel Tucker, it's like, well, they haven't been head coaches really long. It's like, oh yeah, they haven't. They were accomplished black coordinators who it took forever to get head coaching jobs. Yep. Oh, there's a shock. So it's like, yeah, Mel Tucker was a head coach for one year at Colorado because all he did was like work under Jim Tressel and Nick Saban. And when Kirby Smart got the head coaching job at Georgia, he was like, I'm taking this guy. And he went and was a defensive coordinator at Georgia for Kirby Smart. And it took him this long to be a head coach. So it's like, yeah, I, you know. Now, well, now, but Mike Loxley was at New Mexico and was awful. Was awful. Was, was just awful. just putrid and it ended in a bad way. So I he does have to answer for that. And that does pull down on what his ranking would be. But it, to me, that is still more reason why Brett Bielema should be ahead of him. Yeah. And, and because there's some guys, there are, it is interesting when you try to judge it. Is it based on now? Is it based on what you did before? You know, like Jeff Brom, Jeff Brom was at what? Western Kentucky, right? Was that where he was? And he was like good yes. for a couple of years. Yes. But he wasn't there all that long. And he has, he's done nothing at Purdue other than beat Ohio state once. Like he's done nothing. They don't recruit that well. Like they don't, I mean, like they got Rondale Moore and they beat Ohio state, but like Jeff Brom ahead of Greg Schiano and Brett Bielema based on skins on the wall is illogical. 
Let's talk about, we'll talk about a little more Ryan Day before we get out of here, but like James Franklin at 11 is a little bit similar to the Brian Kelly discussion to me that it's like, as we said before, I mean, is Penn state a top 10 program in the country? Yeah. Based on everything before last year, when they had a stinky year in the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. They are. They're blocked by Ohio state, but they do a lot of things really well. But if Luke fickle took over at Penn state tomorrow, would you feel better or worse about Penn state's chances? If, if you felt, I think you would either feel the same or better. I don't think people would be like, oh, my God. Oh, they, they lost James Franklin. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, what's Penn State going to do? And so he's 11th, and he's second in the Big Ten. I mean, honestly, line up 25 ADs and say, right now, starting a program or whatever, you got to hire a coach, Pat Fitzgerald, James Franklin, who you taking? I mean, it's 25 to zero. So the idea that Franklin is 11 and Fitzgerald is 12 is only based on the idea that like, well, Penn State's had a decent record, except the expectations for Penn State are literally two or three times higher than Northwestern. And like, they're actually not that dissimilar as programs right now. So again, it's ludicrous to have James Franklin 11 and second in the Big Ten. I mean, it's skewed a little bit because there are definitely years where Penn State is better than Northwestern, but Northwestern is going to be the team that gets to the Big Ten championship game because Penn State can't get to Ohio State, and that that skews that a little bit. But I agree with you, and it's almost like, by the way, the reason they do these lists is so we'll have these arguments. So kudos to them, and we've done this before too. We've we've when we've done lists, we've we don't manipulate the list, but there might be. Do we put a guy at fifty or forty nine? Well, maybe fifty is where we're starting the list, and there's a little bit more juice to put Michigan's quarterback at number fifty, that sort of thing. So we've done that sort of thing ourselves. We can't pretend we don't. But this 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 trifecta that we're talking about right now, James Franklin eleven, Pat Fitzgerald twelve, Luke Fickle thirteen. I think is just a fascinating little juncture of this list. And I agree, I agree with you that like I mean, uh, when you who would rather have James Franklin than Pat Fitzgerald? And and you know and and Luke Fickle is already the guy that they're saying well whenever Penn State and James Franklin get sick of each other that's clearly who Penn State's going to call first right so that that's a really f- fun juncture on this list and I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out in the coming years by the way Franklin though dropped two spots Fitzgerald jumped 17 spots and Fickle jumped 37 spots so going into last year it was an even bigger discrepancy between those three last year. Franklin was ninth on this list. Fitzgerald was 29th and Fickle was 50th. Now I'll give uh, that one. I guess maybe I have a little bit less of a quibble with because last year was Fickle's kind of big national breakthrough in some ways. Right. But, but Fitzgerald, the the idea that even a year ago, and I know Northwestern was coming off a bad year a year ago, but the idea that Franklin was ninth and Fitzgerald was 29th um, again is ranking the programs. It's not ranking the coaches. Yeah. And you, and you have to be able to distinguish that, right? I mean, like, that's just such an important part of this that, like, I'm just a little, I'm just a little disappointed. It would have been like if like going into can't. his first year, they had put Ryan Day fourth because they thought Ohio State was going to make the playoff that year, even though he never coached a game other than those, I guess, games where he was interim for Meyer. So he had at least that little bit. We'd actually seen him be a head coach for a couple of games. You know what I'm saying? Like, he hadn't actually done anything yet, and you were still just putting him up there because that's where the program was. All right, so, th- so since... James Franklin has been at Penn State, Nathan. He's going into his eighth year. He's 60 and 28. Northwestern in that same time period is 51 and 35. 
So that's like one game a year more that Penn State has won than, than Northwestern. And again, I just the expectations between Penn State and Northwestern are great, are further apart than Penn State should win one more game a year than Northwestern. So I just I, I just think um, like how irreplaceable you are is just a huge part of this, right? So let's let's run down. Oh, just, that, go yeah, ahead. I think that's a great way to look at it because if Penn State left, if if James Franklin left Penn State. If he had taken the USC job or some other job, Tennessee, whatever, as he had been maybe rumored in the running, as he has been to many jobs in the last few years, I think people at Penn State would have been like, yeah, okay, he, he was good here, but who are we going to get next? Because they know they would be able to go hire a Luke Fickle, somebody else that's good from somewhere. And if Pat Fitzgerald ever leaves Northwestern, it will be devastating. Agreed. Let's do irreplaceability. Just sort of like... Um... We won't do like a scale. We'll just kind of do a yes or no. If and when this coach leaves, will the fan base be nervous that they won't be able to replace him with a guy who's as good? So that I think that's the threshold. Like, or when the guy leaves, will the fan be like, no, 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 we're I think we'll be okay. Like he was good, or even like he wasn't good, but we'll run through Tom Allen at 21. Well, they'd be like, well, he was good, but like, I think we can get somebody just as good because of who we are or just the type of coach he was, right? So Nick Saban, is he irreplaceable for Alabama? I think he's irreplaceable, yes, anywhere. Yes. Because you'll you'll still have great success, but to do what he's done is immeasurable. Like, even, if they get, even if they get Dabo, people will right. have some questions of like, can anybody live up to it? He might be, he's like the greatest coach in college football history. Dabo at Clemson, is he irreplaceable? By the way, the Dabo picture that they use in this list is perfect because he's I think it must have been when he had a mask, but it's like pulled down over his neck. So it looks like he's wearing some kind of a foofy scarf or something. It's a very it's a very Weasley picture. Uh, no, Dabo is absolutely irreplaceable. I'm going to we will finish after the last break with a brief Dabo weasel discussion uh, about something in particular that does apply to coaching. Lincoln Riley, if and when he leaves, if he takes an NFL job, will Oklahoma fans think he's irreplaceable? That's a that's a good one, just because it's still been a relatively short amount of time. I guess I would say yes, just because of his particular success developing the most important position in the game. Yeah, I, I would think they would think it because I think I think they think he's an offensive genius and they'll be worried about the scheme part of it and the quarterback recruiting and development part of it. I agree with you. Yes. Brian Kelly, irreplaceable. No, I say no. I think people again, I'm, I think Notre Dame fans might sign up for Marcus Freeman like in a year. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, irreplaceable at Texas A&M. Yes, I think I agree with that because like they've just been through like some not great stuff with Kevin Sumlin, who like started yeah. off well and then tailed off. And now Jimbo has him back like in the playoff picture. And I think they probably think he's like King Jimbo. So I would say yes. Ryan Day. He I was just saying, right now, Texas A&M is above Texas. They don't get to say that that yes. often, and they want the guy who's got them there. Ryan Day, I think that f that's a that's another great one, just because it's only been two years. So I would say no. Do you think fans would say no? Not irreplaceable. I, th I think they would be nervous. I mean, Ohio State will definitely get a good coach. Like if you slide Matt Campbell in, like right now. Would Ohio State fans or you be slide like Marcus Freeman in, right? Or you fried Marcus Freeman in? Would Ohio State fans be like, oh, we're fine? Because I, we would have said Urban was irreplaceable, and then they slid Ryan Day, and it was like, oh, they're fine. <laughs> so, yeah. but again, it's only been two years. It's I don't. It, we're getting close to the point where you can't keep saying that about Ryan Day, but I don't know if we're there yet. 
I think we're very close to it. I mean, the recruiting speaks for itself and he hasn't lost a game outside of the playoff yet. So right. like, yeah, I don't, other than winning two national titles, it's like, I don't know what else you want him to do only because it's too early. It's a, it's a, maybe no, he's definitely he's not ending up. He's not at the Dabo and Saban irreplaceable level, but I think, and I think he, probably would feel more replaceable than Lincoln Riley because Ohio state's a bigger national brand than Oklahoma. And that I think Ohio state is more capable of getting another great coach. Like I think Matt Campbell would definitely take the Ohio state job. I'm not a hundred percent sure he would take the Oklahoma job. He probably would. Right. But I just think, I think that affects it. Like Ohio state's a better program than Oklahoma, which means Lincoln Riley might be more irreplaceable than Ryan day if they're pretty similar as coaches. So I, I would lean yes still at the moment, even though it's been early. And I think the more success he has, the more it'll be, it'll feel like a yes, even though Ohio state fans know, you know, Trestle to urban to Ryan day, like it's kind of only gotten better. So that's a tough one. Kirby smart at Georgia. I want to read something we got from a, uh, a a someone who is apparently, I think, an Ohio State and Georgia fan. I think the answer, I think on the outside, the answer is irreplaceable. I'm not sure. Here, I found it. Let me read it real quick. Um, this is a, a Buckeye Talk question. Hey, Buckeye Talk from the 912. I'm a Georgia fan and love your pud. Buckeye Talk is a must listen for me in South Georgia. Question for y'all. Do you know the way that many fans relentlessly, and in my opinion, deservedly criticize Kirby Smart for failing to play the transcendent talent of Justin Fields over the more pedestrian likes of Jake Fromm? Actually, this is a question that was basically getting into, um, does Ryan Day have the same problem potentially with the quarterbacks coming up, which is something I'm sure we'll revisit on the pod later. But also, fun fact, did you know Georgia has not a single defensive lineman drafted under Kirby Smart? Great recruiter, lousy developer. Nobody does less with more than Kirby. This is from Nicole in Sea Island, Georgia who I hope is listening because I finally got around to her question because we hadn't answered it. She had sent it a while back. I think that tells me a lot about what a lot of Georgia fans might think about Kirby Smart. Like, okay, we're getting all these guys. It's nice to be to win the recruiting rankings every once in a while. What are we doing with it? You know what? I think it's possible that, man, this that's just give me another idea. It's like, so you're either, I think transitional coaches are interesting. And I think I've made the point sort of that it might turn out to be that Harbaugh at Michigan is not the answer. He's the transition because he got him from Rich Rod to the guy who's going to take over for Harbaugh and be better. And I think the same thing might apply with Kirby Smart at Georgia because the whole thing with Mark Richt is like, they should recruit better. Why can't they keep any of these Georgia guys home? I mean, it's one of those things. It's like they've had so many awesome players from there, and we've seen it with Ohio State taking some of those guys. Clearly, Georgia's recruiting better under Kirby Smart. But now maybe the next guy will be like, okay, well, the recruiting's back on its feet, but now I'm going to develop. I'm going to scheme it up better. I'm going to, maybe it'll be an offensive guy, right? That, that Kirby is not, is not the answer. He's the in-between, which would, we would then say based on Nicole, I think it's a great insight by her and, and Nathan with all this stuff, the outside perception as you brought up versus the inside perception. I'll go with what seems like the inside perception and say, no, he's not irreplaceable. I would, and I also want to bring up because the, the sporting news list here points out you brought up Mark Richt. He was 52 and 13 after five seasons at Georgia. Kirby Smart's been at Georgia for five seasons. His record is 52 and 14. Wow. Okay. And now I will say the other thing, though, 
our, our perception of Kirby Smart would be very different if they had won the overtime national championship game against Alabama instead of losing it. So but they're if, that close to him having the national championship and probably being higher on this list. And if Kirby Smart was like a little bit better of a coach, they might have won. <laughs> right? <laughs> fair, fair. Fair. I mean, that's that's the two a game, right? right. Where, 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 right? Yeah. And where would Ryan Day be on this list if Georgia hadn't let Justin Fields get away? Right. And where would where would Ryan Day be on this list if Chris Olave hadn't broken off his route? Like, I mean, there is yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's only so much you can do. But I mean, I do think there is something in there that that sometimes when your team is that close and doesn't quite get over the hump and it's I mean, it's easier to apply it outside. It's like, are we going to blame Ryan Day? for the Justin Fields interception in the end zone against Clemson? No. Are we going to blame Kirby smart for Georgia taking that game into extra time, but not winning? Yes, because we don't cover Georgia. (laughs) And I'm like, we don't know. We don't, it's not that we're homers, but it's that we don't know the ins and outs. And if we knew the ins and outs, Kirby might be like, man, I'll tell you, I dialed up this blitz and our coverage was supposed to, you know, the safety was supposed to rotate to this side and he didn't do it. And that's why, you know what I mean? Like we would know more of that stuff, but I think from the outside, yeah. Like going to overtime in the national title game can be a plus, but it could also be like, well, you know who got it done that night? Saban. Yep. Cause he's a freaking genius. So I'm going to say, so do we agree that it's a no on Kirby as irreplaceable? Correct. Dan Mullen at Florida. I would say no, just because like, I think he's good. I don't know that he's like super duper special. Yeah, I would say no. And I think anybody who isn't, it doesn't have a program like at or near its apex, you tend to say no, right? Correct. And Florida's not at that apex. He's not urban. Right. Like, just like a lot of guys haven't been urban. Tom Herman wasn't urban. Dan Mullen's a lot better than Tom Herman. And Dan Mullen was very successful at Mississippi State. Like, all credit to Dan Mullen. But, like, if he left for the NFL, and I think he's been one of those guys whose names get floated for NFL jobs. If he leaves for the NFL, I don't, I don't know that. Florida fans will be throwing themselves on the ground. It's like, Will Muschamp stunk, but, and Jim McElwain, I mean, it is one of those things. And then you run through, it's like, okay, after Urban, they went Muschamp, McElwain. It's like, oh yeah, those guys weren't very good. And Dan Mullen is definitely better than them. Right. But I also would imagine as an outsider that Florida fans are kind of waiting for the next Urban. And if Mullen's not quite that, then they think, well, we should be able to get an Urban because we've had him before. And Steve Spurrier is pretty darn good there too. All right. Matt Campbell at nine is, I mean, that's a yes. Yeah. Hard. Yes. Mac Brown at 10 at North Carolina. I know he's old, but I kind of think yes, because when has North Carolina ever been better than it is under Mac Brown? I mean, he, he's, he's, uh, he's Southern Greg Shiano, right? I mean, like what, what, what the situation would be of like, it's a a great coach who like lifts a program to as its greatest heights leaves and then comes back and like once again is sort of able to do that. Although Mac has shown it more at North Carolina because he's been there an extra year than Greg has done at Rutgers so far. Well, but it's also Mac Brown's better than Greg Shiano too, because he went off to Texas and then did. I know that people think it yeah. like didn't achieve everything it could have achieved, but I mean, they were the right there. They were at the top of college football for a while. Yeah. And Shiano was not good in the NFL. Uh, James Franklin, 11. We think no, no. on irreplaceable Pat Fitzgerald at 12. We think yes is the dictionary definition of it almost Luke fickle at 13 at Cincinnati at a place where they constantly have good. <laughs> yeah. Good I mean, they're always, they, they, they would probably say no, uh, these not irreplaceable because Brian Kelly wasn't irreplaceable and whoever else. And like, they, they're just the incubator for the next great guy to go off to some big power five job. 
or or the Senate. Um, right. But I also think they would I mean, they would crawl over broken glass to make sure they had Luke Fickle instead of Tommy Tuberville. I think maybe. But I think the other thing is as good as Cincinnati was under Mark D'Antonio, who kind of was the guy that got that thing rolling. Then Brian Kelly, Butch Jones, again, turned it into the Tennessee job. I think maybe Luke still, and I don't know if this is the era and the opportunity with the playoff and that kind of thing, or if there's something different about Luke, but like Cincinnati's elevated, you know, they were at that time when I was like, Hey, they were the team that like got into a BCS bowl and they won and won the one year. Right. Like it was a big deal, but they feel like more in the conversation right now, the way we talk about them right now, right. That it's like, Hey, like they're kind of there. I do think, now, listen, if Marcus was still there or if they think they could get Marcus back, if Luke takes the Penn State job in a year, would Marcus Freeman leave Notre Dame? That's, I mean, like we're, we're just making this a Notre Dame podcast. If Luke, oh, so if after, let's say Penn State has another iffy season and James Franklin and Penn State are like, you know what? I think it's time. And they part ways. Luke Fickle becomes the head coach at Penn State for the 2022 season. Cincinnati is like Marcus Freeman, like we will give you every nickel we can give you to come be the head coach at Cincinnati and Notre Dame says don't go we'll name you coach in waiting and we're telling you Brian Kelly's not going to be here more than another two years like does any of that sound far-fetched oh no so if they couldn't get and I think if you're Cincinnati fans and Luke left and you couldn't get Marcus Freeman I think you would be nervous so I think like Luke is is replaceable only by Marcus Freeman and then listen, frankly, and, and I mean, if Marcus, if they can't get Marcus Freeman, you know who's next up to be the head coach of Cincinnati when Luke leaves? It's Kerry Combs. So like if Kerry Combs, if like Ohio State's defense is like on point this year, Kerry is absolutely tearing it up on the recruiting trail again. He's a program builder. He's a great guy. He's Cincinnati through and through. I think they go Marcus one, Kerry two, and, and actually, I think they might be like, okay, we're sad to see Luke go, but okay. Like, I think, I think they'd take that. So what does that do for our Luke Fickle irreplaceability ranking? I see your point. I also think that it's also maybe the hardest one to project out a few years just because they're one of the teams that could benefit the most from the 12 team. They're going to have, yep. they're going to be in the conversation a little bit more than they are now where it's it's they're very much far on the outside, no matter what they do um, deservedly or not. So I, that's going to change the way Cincinnati is looked at, I think both internally and externally. I feel like we put kind of a question mark for Ryan day and I'm comfortable putting a question mark for Luke fickle here because this actually isn't a thing. Uh, Coach O at LSU irreplaceable or very replaceable. <laughs> I think, I think replaceable. And I don't know what Joe Brady wants to do with his life. We've talked a lot on our Orange and Brown Talk podcast about how uh, the Bengals are going to show flashes this year with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase catching passes from Joe Burrow, but it's not going to really come together. Everybody in Cincinnati is going to be like, Zach Taylor is not it. And then like Joe Brady is going to be there in five minutes and be the new head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals coaching Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, who are the two keys to the offense he ran when LSU won the national championship. So I don't know if Joe Brady would take the LSU job, but my guess as an outsider would be 
LSU fans would trade Coach O for Joe for Joe Brady like yesterday. And that doesn't even that's not really even taking into account all the stuff that's happening at LSU at the moment off the field, which regards did what did Coach O have any role in in LSU as an athletic department not handling some off-field um alleged like sexual assault incidents the exact right way they needed to be handled. I think this is it for Coach O, would be my guess at LSU, that they're going to find a way to part ways. And I think LSU fans will say, thanks for the title. It was mostly because of uh, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Joe Brady, and Joe Burrow. But Coach O, you were entertaining, but we're glad to move on to the next guy. Jim Harbaugh. Who? He's too high on this list. I mean, he's out like, and I'm a Jim Harbaugh defender because he has lifted Michigan, for sure. He's lifted them. But like, I don't think he should be ahead of Paul Christ. I, I don't like for what, like, cause, cause yeah. I mean, Michigan should be better than Wisconsin. Christ and Harbaugh are actually have had like very similar tenures, but Wisconsin has been a lot more in the playoff discussion, as you mentioned, in part because they're in the West, but like nobody at wish at, at Wisconsin is waiting for like the other shoe to drop and their coach to get fired, which is like what this whole Michigan season is about. So it's like, what are you basing this on? Is this, a, is this, is this like Brett Bielema? They give no credit for Wisconsin when they rank him. Scott Frost, they give too much credit for UCF. But if you have Jim Harbaugh 15th, there is some Stanford residue in here. And it's like, well, where, what, what matters from the past and what doesn't? But I think Michigan fans are ready to move on from Harbaugh if it doesn't work. I don't know that they're beating a drum to get him out. They're going to give this season a chance, Nathan, but. If it doesn't work, they're they're going to be ready, and so he's not irreplaceable at all. Yeah, I guess there's when you stop and think about it, how many coaches have had the level of success that he had at Stanford? Um, how many coaches have even done? You know, it's like why it was Brian Kelly so high. Well, how many coaches have been to the playoff championship or play into the, even gotten their team to the playoff twice? Like there aren't that many. So that those sorts of things, I think, are what do prop up some of these resumes. It should remind us how rare some of these levels of success are but i agree that what has happened at michigan is like why why is he that much higher than uh, kirk ferentz they're basically the iowa of the east and that's not why they hired jim harbaugh i've said that before on here like why, why he, he doesn't accomplish more than what iowa does in any given year totally agree mario cristobal at oregon replaceable or not replaceable replaceable yeah, I think he's doing a good job, but yeah. I mean, they just ran through a whole bunch of coaches because Willie Taggart left and they, you know, like they had to do some stuff. So I think that's fine. Paul Christ, I think, is not replaceable because he is Wisconsin through and through. I think he might end up being like the modern day Barry Alvarez that like and they went through like a rough patch there where like Gary Anderson was like, not it at all. Gary Anderson was not it. And then like they brought the hometown guy back and it's such a perfect fit. I think somebody might be able to win at the same level there. Like if you made PJ Fleck, the Wisconsin coach, I think he'd win, but I don't think he'd fit like Chris fits. And I don't think Wisconsin fans, my perception from the outside is I don't think they want anybody else. And so show me another like former backup Wisconsin quarterback who's ready to take over and win as much as Paul Chris has won. And it's not out there. So for that reason, for all the cultural fit, that's so specific to that coach in that school, I'd say no. I'm, I think, less – I have less conviction about it than you do. I'm probably closer to a no, but I think I'm still on the side of the fence that would say irreplaceable for what for the reasons you're saying. That I think Wisconsin's one of those places 
where uh, culture and things are pretty important and finding the guy who understands Wisconsin and how you can win at Wisconsin as the foundation of that place, I, I think is important. And I think he's doing that. Right. I, in the middle of the list, flipped what I was doing. My point is that he is irreplaceable. He's not replaceable, except I flipped my Y's and my N's on my list because I realized that I had like the same ranking for like Jim Harbaugh and Nick Saban. So my point is that Paul Christ cannot be replaced. He is like Nick Saban. That's what you're saying also? I guess yeah. I was, we were getting, one of us is talking about irreplaceable and one of us is talking about replaceable. Well, we were talking about the same thing and then midway through the exercise, I flipped the adjective oh, okay. I was using. Oh, okay. So we agree that Wisconsin is irreplaceable. Yes. Wisconsin would be sad to lose him. Correct. Well, they'd be sad. That's the other thing. Like saying Mario Cristobal is replaceable or is not irreplaceable, however you want to say it, is not a slam on Mario Cristobal because he's still the head coach at Oregon and they're still winning games. He's still doing a good job. It's just the degree to which we're talking. Yeah. All right. I don't know what it's like in Oklahoma. So Mike Gundy is 18th on this list. My perception with the outside from the outside is like, they'd be fine if they got somebody else. I know he's won there a lot. Maybe we'll have Oklahoma state fans come on here and say otherwise, but I would say that you could replace him and be okay. They, what they actually do is not that special year in and year out to me. I, I, but I understand, I think there are some like cultural implications there too. He's a guy that fits what Oklahoma state wants to be about. So maybe that would make it seem like, irreplaceable but i would say he is replaceable kyle whittingham at utah i think irreplaceable i mean he is utah at this point uh kirk ferentz at iowa i think like is both i think i think theoretically he's irreplaceable except i think maybe people are ready to replace him like the only reason i think they'd want to replace him is because he's been there forever and maybe they wouldn't mind something new well i think it's just one of those things where irreplaceable but you've seen the ceiling and just age and other things start to become a thing where you know that the replacement's coming. Yeah. And the stuff off the field before last season that made it seem like this guy might, this guy might be out of touch right with modern college football and the modern college athlete. Uh, Tom Allen at Indiana is the last one we'll do. I mean, this guy went from, I mean, just off the radar to like, I don't know, like right now, if you told an Indiana football fan, Hey, do you hear Tom Allen left? And if that person loved Indiana football, I think they would go, what? I think, don't you think, or do you think they'd be like, oh, okay, I guess we'll just find somebody else. So I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a bad analogy with basketball here potentially, but I want to, so I was just writing up a piece about uh, Ibrahim Diallo committing to San Jose state, a guy who transferred out of Ohio state basketball, and he's going to play at San Jose state with Tim miles, who people might remember was the Nebraska coach recently. And Nebraska was nothing in basketball. Nebraska hires Tim miles two years later, they're in the NCAA tournament. And that to me was like a stunning turnaround at the time. And if you had gone to Lincoln to watch basketball at that time, they were packing that new arena. There was a lot of juice. Like Tim miles was this big, all of a sudden like star kind of personality in the big 10. And a lot of it was his personality. It wasn't just that they were winning. Like he had this appeal as a, as a guy, he was, it was kind of a smart ass to the media in a good way, at least at the time. And fans loved him, I think, and had this professorial thing and it was great. And then he still got run out of town because <laughs> it uh, partially because it sets a new standard too. So I'm just still waiting to see. I think right now today, Tom Allen probably feels very irreplaceable in Bloomington. I would still call him replaceable just because I'm still waiting to see 
that it's a sustained success and that it's real and that they can beat teams that are actually good. Yeah, they'll be they're another team playing the against the expectation game this year because they came yeah. out of nowhere. Michael Penix was short of the cone and they gave him a touchdown anyway, and that like changed their whole season because then they beat Penn State and they played some really, really, really good football. They really did. And they did some historic things. But now the expectation game, people are thinking they're like a top 15, top 10 team. And so now they have to handle that because now when they play Michigan and Penn State, it's not going to be, hey, we beat them for the first time in three decades. It's going to be like, people, you're going to be favored in those games. And then it's like, oh, Indiana's favored against Michigan and Penn State. And it's like, oh, remember how Michigan and Penn State have like a lot more better, a lot more talent that was recruited to their rosters than Indiana does? Oh, yeah. That just happened. Not that like Micah McFadden and Taiwan is it Taiwan Allen. Who's the DB oh, Mullen Taiwan Mullen. Like they, again, there's some really Ty Freifogel, Michael Penix. Obviously there are some really good players in Indiana, but like the depth of talent across the board is not yet at the Penn state or Michigan level. And, and it's like, it's very possible. We are all reminded of that when Penn state and Michigan, like win those games by 20. Yeah. I mean, are we looking back in a few years and thinking that the high watermark of this, era of Indiana football was complaining about Ohio state getting to go to the big 10 championship game instead of them and then losing their bowl game to a bad team. Yeah. And it'll be one of those things that'll be like 50 years ago in a pandemic, college football was set on its ear, but one team found a way to have its greatest season ever. The story of the 2020 Indiana Hoosiers. And that it was like, Oh, they were a pandemic team. You know, that's also possible now credit to that. Cause we said a million times, like how you deal with a, in a crisis says a lot about you, Tom Allen and Michael Penix and all those guys guided that program through a pandemic to its best season in, in half a century. So awesome. But now people expect you to follow it up. All right. Quick break, quick conversation on the backside about Dabo. And if his weaseldom is catching up with him next up, Buckeye talk. Douglas Maurice and Nathan Baird. Nathan, this is a thing again that had popped up on social media, sort of in and around NIL. That that there was a quote from Dabo a couple of years ago that was like, "Ah, if they ever, if players ever make money, I'm quitting" or whatever. I don't remember. I mean, I, I remember the general reaction to it, and it's disingenuous mumbo jumbo, and he yeah. never should have said it, and it's it's part of his weasel reputation is that. I don't I don't know if I don't know off the top of my head, and again, I didn't do any research on it. If he was talking about NIL, or if he was talking about like players being paid by the schools, which is a difference. Yes. But it was not, if that's actually what he meant, that's not how it was perceived. Cause I saw it multiple places. I saw some athletes like retweeting it themselves right. saying like, Hey, remember when this guy said this? And so I'm, I'm more interested in the perception because perception is reality. When you have some coaches like Ryan day, like a lot of other coaches sort of leaning into NIL and then you have a guy like Dabo who like that is hanging out there on him fair or not it was hanging that's was out there on name image and likeness day does that have any effect on Dabo Sweeney and Clemson football in the future because now we are in a world that he did not seem very open to probably should um, and, and I think if you're a recruit, you have some pointed questions for him. I think it's something he'll probably have to explain it multiple times in the coming years on the recruiting trail. Like, well, you said that you are against this, right? And then now he's going to have to put that in whatever the correct context is. I think it was more along the, 
I, you know, it would be a cold day in hell when I allow uh, real like free agency to happen in college sports or, you know, where we're paying them as employees and paying them under like you are with NFL contracts. I think that's what he was referring to, because I remember that quote sort of predating the NIL discussion, which has been relatively I feel you know it feels like it's been a long time coming but it's been relatively short right it's only been the last couple of years that NIL really became this focus that where there was momentum towards it and and people saw it almost as like the reaction to that like there was a staunch opposition across college sports to paying the players so why not do this like secondary income that completely bypasses the schools and players can still make income from it. Like that almost seemed like a reaction. So I think, I think context is important. This certainly wouldn't be the first time that something spread out of context, but it was still a dumb thing to say in the first place, I think. And it is something he's going to have to explain when he goes out on and, and starts talking to recruits and their families. I think he's like an old fashioned guy. I think he like thinks it. It's like, sometimes you shouldn't say everything you think, which would not be a Buckeye talk slogan. (laughs) What's, What's the opposite of that? So I do think it's it's hard because sometimes being like an old fashioned guy, whatever that means, good and bad, like a lot of people like that. Right. That's like that's like the values discussion that like and I think he sells that and that absolutely. And I think he means it like. Right. I mean, I think I think he can come across as weaselly, but I think to other people, he comes across as very genuine and to to a family and a mom and a dad and a grandma and a grandpa and an uncle and, and a brother and a sister and that, and that player for the right family. I think Dabo Sweeney is like exactly what they're looking for. And this modern world, man, it's not like it used to be. I think in its own way it can be very effective, but I don't think the percentage of people that it's effective with, I think it might only be going down, right? That like you'd rather yeah. be effective with like, cause you could be genuine and also be like, Hey, things are changing. I have values, but I also think you should be able to like sell your autograph. And here's the other thing that I guess that would be counter to what I was saying before. When Dabo gets those questions, he can say, hey, you know what? doesn't really even matter what I think because the, the, the rule is out there. And we have a great structure at Clemson with all these people set up. We have this program. We've got people who are dedicated to doing it. They're going to take you through and they are going to help you maximize every opportunity you have. The same thing that Ryan Day can say about Ohio State. Same thing Nick Saban will be able to say about Alabama. The same thing Matt Campbell will probably be able to say about Iowa State. Like every school – you, I mean, maybe every school won't do it, but the, the, the good ones will. They'll be they'll put a program together and it'll it'll be out of the coach's hands anyway. There is a discussion I would like to have uh, sort of regarding how NIL is going to affect the on-field product. That's not even what I mean. Like which teams are going to get better because of name, image and likeness, what teams are going to get worse. And there has been a theory that has emerged that I've seen a couple smart people espouse and sometimes use Ohio State specifically as an example that they think this is going to increase parity and that it's not going to be if there's a smaller school in the Big Ten that is competing against Ohio State for recruit. And in the past, I saw this somewhat a writer do this Oh, in the past, maybe Ohio State won nine out of 10 battles over a recruit with that school. Maybe in the NIL world, maybe they'll only win seven because maybe that player will be like, well, if I go to this other school, I'll be able to play faster, start faster. And when that happens, that's good in and of itself. And that was already true. And I still, I don't think Ohio state lost a lot of battles. I don't, I don't, it almost makes me want to go back and like research how often did Ohio state lose a kid who really said, you know what? I really like Ohio state. I'm just going to not be able to play as fast. So I'm going 
to a lesser program. It's still a great program. It just doesn't win as much. We know what that is. But the, the idea that that incentive is higher because now when you go to that other school and play, you're going to be able to make money also. And that's going to lead more kids away from the bluest of the blue bloods. And I don't know if I agree with that. I do not think I agree with it either. I mean, I've covered so, up. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you because we're at the end of this pod, Okay. but I would like to have a discussion about that. And I think there's a way we can ask our texters about that. It might be something we can do before you go on vacation after Steven is back. And the three of us can discuss that. It has a lot of recruiting implications. That's the most interesting thing about NIL. How does it affect the playing field, right? For the players themselves, great, get money. Like the fans' interest in how much the players are making is going to ebb after like this first week. If it affects what teams are good, that's where it gets interesting. And that's a podcast we want to do. But for this one, I enjoyed that. Nathan, I think we were able to talk about coaches without exactly doing the same thing we did with our coaches draft several months ago. Uh, so keep listening to Buckeye talk. We appreciate you guys being here. Read cleveland.com slash Buckeye talk, drop a review at Apple podcasts. Try the text at 614-350-3315 for Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk.